Forrest, I, I got to tell you, I think sharks are more popular than Taylor Swift and so many other rock stars because people change their lives for Shark Week. I know that's true, Arrow. They really do. I mean, I, I every single year, Shark Week's been around for 35 years. I'm 35 years old. As long as I can remember, Shark Week has been an event for the summer, right? You get together, you grab your friends, you go and hang out and watch sharks, which is awesome. Dude, you're so right about that because our neighborhood gets together. I mean, we've already got the beer. We've already got the ribs and and, and the chicken wings ready to go. And we will cook it and eat it and celebrate while watching Shark Week. We really do do that. Heck yeah. Well, don't forget to check out my shows. Those are the most important ones. That's right. <laughs> what What is it about the shark, honestly? Is it the mystery? What? Because, I mean, it, it, why don't we say, hey, this is a, a modern day dinosaur that has captivated our love and attention? Well, I think, uh, you know, first of all, I think the fact that sharks live in the ocean is a huge component of that. You know, we we always are curious by the unknown and the ocean still remains vastly unknown. And I think the fact that they're an animal that's above us in the food chain that has all this mystery and intrigue. There's so many different species of shark. That's an important factor to consider as well. And just they're just so unique, right? There are spotted ones and striped ones and big ones and small ones and blue ones and black ones. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think that we're fascinated by that, not just the fact that they're big toothy meat eaters, but the fact that there are so many different kinds that occupy so many different niches. They're such interesting animals. And quite frankly, we're relying on them for our own survival arrow. So that's a big big factor as well yeah because i mean they they really are a major part of that ocean if that shark disappears from that ocean uh, this is going to be different thing than just climate change i mean it's going to change the whole landscape beneath the water yeah people need to realize and maybe they do subconsciously that if sharks disappear we're not having this conversation you and i we disappear if sharks disappear and the oceans collapse human beings cease to exist as we know it the ocean is you know, one of our biggest carbon sequesters. It's where 90% of the global protein comes from. Uh, it's where our rain comes from. The list goes on and on and on. And sharks are really the gatekeepers for that. They are the uh, the ecosystem engineers that keep it healthy. And so without them, we're in big trouble. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really watching the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area right now because they're bragging about how beautiful the blue water is. And I keep thinking, my God, that's going to be attracting sharks. There's something going on in Myrtle Beach right now. And I don't know where it's growing. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know much about that. I don't. I haven't seen the new headlines about the blue water, but... The ocean's a chif- shifting and dynamic place. You know, winds and currents bring different patches of water. I was just offshore yesterday until late in the night, so excuse my my blurry eyes. But, um, <laughs> you know, we had this incredible crystal blue water See? offshore here in an area that typically uh, this time of year is green and murky. And yeah. we saw huge moles and blue whales and um, a big mako shark and all kinds of stuff yesterday while we were chasing the tuna around. And you just never know. By today, it could all have turned over again. So that's, you know, again, contributing to your point, part of the intrigue of the ocean is you just never know. Is it is it the ocean's way of saying, hey, look, there is a change? Because I swear it speaks to we as human beings. And, and maybe, maybe because of people like yourself, we're finally starting to pay attention. You know, I think we are. And I'll give you a perfect example, Arrow. You know, 15, 20 years ago, the mentality surrounding the ocean and sharks was if you get in the ocean you're going to get ripped to shreds by a a mindless killing machine that is a shark right Mm -hmm. today 
I can't go on my Instagram without seeing a gorgeous gal in a bikini swimming next to a 15 foot <laughs> white shark, right? And so my point is not just that my follow history is questionable, but rather that um, I think the overall demeanor and attitude towards these animals is shifting and we're becoming more conscious of it. We're becoming more environmentally sustainable as a culture and as a nation. We're starting to respect these things more, and I think that's a great thing. Why is it that we can name a hurricane and a and a snowstorm, but we won't name the shark? Because I mean, if you guys have you technically you have helped make sharks seen on on radar. Why? We, we, it's it's like how can we better prepare for these things? Oh, that's an interesting. You mean when there's a shark coming into a new area? Yeah, is if if, if Brenda the shark is hanging out in, on, off the coast of uh, New Jersey, then then because you guys have got that that system of 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 being able to tag them and to know where they're going to go, and yeah. can can probably al- already predict where they're going to go. Well, there are some. I mean, why? It, you know, I think the reason that it doesn't become some sort of mass hysteria, which is a good thing, by the way, mm-hmm. is because. Um, for the most part, sharks are not attacking people, right? They're not they're not uh, going out of their way to look for human beings as a food source. Instead, the only time there is an incident, it's usually a case of mistaken identity. But there are certain websites. Um, O-Search is one of them. Shark track, Tracker or Tagger is another one. And you can see, you know, these certain animals, Big Blue, the largest great white shark in the world. Where is she today? Where are these other individual animals? So I do think that there is that, but there's no need to generate mass hysteria around it because 99% of the time, you know, let's let's say this, Arrow, more often than not, when a shark knows you're there, mm-hmm. you don't know that the shark is there. And, oh, there's no, and there's not a negative run-in whatsoever. Oh, my God. That's like Jason and Michael. They know you're there. They're watching you, and everybody's going, turn around, turn around. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, for the most part, there are no negative consequences it's just every once in a while anytime human and animals come into contact every once in a while there's going to be conflict it doesn't matter if it's a squirrel a raccoon or a great white shark one of the things that we we tend to leave out in a lot of these stories about sharks during shark week is the fact that we we forget that science is a major part of this so a lot of kudos to people like yourself for being able to step out there and keep us informed of of what happens globally yeah, thank you. I think that's important. I think just uh, as we said previously, just the, uh, the general awareness is important, right? And the fact that we can communicate shark science, albeit a lot of it is like edutainment, you know, where there's these larger, interesting sort of stunts taking place on places like Discovery Channel. At least it's getting sharks into the homes of millions of people, mm-hmm. into the uh, you know, onto their screens making people fall in love with these animals. And I think the most important part of Shark Week, in my opinion, is hosts, you know, speaking like myself and some of the others, speaking for myself and some of the others that truly have a passion for this subject matter. And that translates, right? It translates to people in their living rooms. So hopefully they can fall in love with sharks and whether they grow up to become shark scientists or just go, wow, I don't actually hate these things anymore. That's all you can really ask for. Well, see, and I think one of the things that you bring to the screen is the realism that that you're not just a narrator, that you're physically involved with it. And I think that's what we're tapping into. We're, we're living vicariously through everything that you're doing. And, and we've, we find ourselves feeling the same kind of fear because there are times, dude, when you guys are in that water, I, I feel it inside my stomach. <laughs> as do we, my friend, as do we. Um, yeah, you know, look, you can't 
choose to work in a dangerous environment or with a dangerous set of species without every once in a while having your your heart jump into your throat. You just can't. And it doesn't matter. As a wildlife biologist, I've worked with elephants and bears and lions and sharks and all kinds of things. And uh, we, the people that you watch on Shark Week, myself, we choose to put ourselves in these dangerous situations, right? And so when you have that moment of fear, that that unusual circumstance that leads to potentially a disaster, you have to keep in mind that the people that you're watching on your screen put themselves in harm's way to do this, right? It's not the shark's fault. Nobody, no shark has said, let me go into this guy's living room and yeah. see if I can tear him up, right? We're the ones who've gone into theirs, decided to ring the dinner bell and then gone, oh my God, it was so close, right? It's because <laughs> we put ourselves into these situations. <laughs> so what's going on down in Australia with that tiger shark? Because I mean, it's, it's just starting to make some headlines and it needs shows like yours to really kind of vamp it up a bit. Uh, with regards to the mysterious deaths of tiger sharks? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. But see, that's not on the front page. We're finding that uh, it, it either in a uh, some sort of a website or, or, or on the back page of, of, of some magazine. It's, it's not up there in the front yet. Well, and I think the reason being because it's it's so unknown and the whole the, the story is the entire headline. And that's something that my team and I wanted to investigate while we went to Western Australia. But there are these news articles popping up, mm -hmm. specifically in Western Australia, of tiger sharks that are washing up dead on the beaches that look immaculate. They're absolutely perfect, right? And scientists look at them and autopsies reveal there's, there's nothing wrong with them. There's no plastic in their stomachs. They haven't choked. Um, they haven't been ripped to shreds. They haven't been hit by a boat. So the question is, why would these sharks be dying when they look so healthy and perfect? And the hypothesis that my team and I came up with was that in this part of the world, specifically, there is incredibly high diversity and density of lethally toxic sea snakes. And because tiger sharks are known as the dumpsters of the sea that will exactly. eat absolutely yep. anything, yep. Our, our thought was potentially these sea snakes and tiger sharks could be having a run-in, and while the sea snake may not live, if the sea snake is able to envenomate the tiger shark in any capacity, that would lead to a slowing down of the tiger shark's body. And once it slows down, it's not able to pump water over its gills and then it would roll over dead. And the reason that's so fascinating is because there's no traces left behind from the sea snakes. Unlike other species of snake that cause, you know, tissue rot or bleeding out of orifices or mm. so on and so forth, sea snakes leave none of that. And so I won't say that the mystery solved, but I will say that my team and I strongly believe believe that the reason you're seeing these occasional tiger sharks wash up dead is from sort of a one in a million negative occurrence where a tiger shark and a sea snake come into conflict and the sea snake envenomates the tiger shark. So interesting that you bring up uh, sea snakes. And the reason why is because in my notes today, I go sharks versus snakes. I mean, here in the Carolinas, we have the battle of the snakes. So really, it's the battle of the bites. Who, who's, who's more apt to bite first, the shark or the snake? Good question. You know... Just like with people, you have different personalities, right? right? Some guys, some guy is willing to punch you in the mouth immediately when you insult him. The other is just <laughs> going to walk away. And I've seen the same thing with snakes, with sharks, with pretty much every animal you can imagine. But if I had to say on a whole, I would say snakes. Mm -hmm. You know, snakes have a singular defense. Unlike sharks that can swim away or oftentimes have a large body or an ability to hide. Snakes have one and one defense only for the most part, and that is their bite. And so for the most part, 
if you're messing with a snake, whether it's a sea snake or another species, they are much quicker to bite than a shark would be. You've been in the water. Is a shark as invisible as a copperhead snake? Oh, I would even say more so. Really? I've caught a lot of copperheads, uh, cottonmouths, things like that. And while they do blend in perfectly with their environment, when you're in the three-dimensionality of space that is the ocean, it's incredible how you can be looking over here, looking up, looking down, and turn your head ever so slightly. And nobody knows how or why, but a shark has appeared completely silently from nowhere. And I'm not talking about a little snake. I'm talking about a 12-foot shark that shows up unannounced and is right beside you and you never know that it's coming and most of the time it just swims by with zero interest and it is amazing how they have an ability to do that. One of the things that, that kind of gets inside the pit of my soul is the fact that we're spending billions and trillions of dollars to get to Mars but we're not really going into the ocean. Why Are we afraid of the ocean? Uh, well, you and me both, right? I, I even mentioned that in, in one of my shows, how it's crazy how the space race is taking place and yet the most alien place imaginable, the deep sea, still remains vastly unexplored. I just read a statistic yesterday that said uh, only 90, 91% of the ocean remains unseen by humans, See. which is an incredible statistic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think the answer is it's much more difficult, right? You, Which is laughable to think about how is it more difficult to explore a place on our own planet than it is to send a rover to Mars, but it is more difficult. The high pressure, the fact that even with modern technology, we're still not able to communicate wirelessly underwater for the most part. You know, isn't that crazy if you think about that? We can send a rover to Mars and be live streaming its video, mm-hmm. but I can't talk to 15 feet away from each other underwater. We don't have that technology. And so, um, you know, I think for the most part, it's just too difficult and the science isn't there yet the technology isn't there yet and so most of it remains unexplored see that's interesting that you bring that up about conversation because when when i've gone scuba diving it's always been one of those things it's like okay here i go i'm returning to my mother's womb because i can hear my heartbeat i can hear my breathing i can hear everything it i just feel like that i'm returning to the origin of birth Uh, absolutely it is a very and there's a there's even a term for that which is called the mammalian reflex which is when you put your face in the water, Mm -hmm. this little area right here between your eyes, when that hits the water, it actually organically slows your heartbeat down. That's called the mammalian reflex. Yeah, because you grew up in in a saline womb, in an aquatic womb, and you don't want your heart to be, you know, going incredibly fast when you're in your mother's womb. So as creatures that have, you know, come from a womb and, and ultimately most likely come from sea creatures gazillions of years ago, millions of years ago, we still have that reflex in our body where when your face hits the water, your heart rate slows down, which is incredible. Let me ask you a question, only because I'm blessed with the opportunity to talk with many uh, uh, drummers of, of these these top rock bands. They speak a lot about, they believe that their drumming started in their mother's womb because they could hear their mother's heartbeat. With as many times as you've been underwater, are you a drummer? Is there something like that inside of you? I don't have a musical bone in my body, Arrow. I would, love I would love to impress people with my musical abilities, but no, I'm not. I think um, my my creative outlet comes from making these shows, right? So yeah. I, I own the production company, Fantascus Pictures, that makes these Shark Week shows that I'm on, Shark versus Snake, Alien Shark, the list goes on and on. And uh, 
I love the process of not just coming up with the science and ways to communicate the story, but rather how to uh, how to expand that sharky world on television and into people's homes. And uh, you know, it's a reason we've recently started a YouTube and things like that is to try and bring people into uh, this world. And that's my creative outlet. I don't have the cool rhythm or beats. I can't dine. I got two left feet, but I, uh, I sure do like, uh, sharing the, uh, the shark science and other wildlife science. So are you pretty much like me when, when, when there's a new social connection, you, you've got to make sure that you're part of it. Like this thing with threads, when I found out there was a hundred million people on it, it's like, no matter what, I don't care if I don't understand it. I've got to be on it. I did it. I grabbed it immediately. Yep. And I think I've been on it once, you know, just like <laughs> I, I've been on Twitter maybe three times in the last 10 years and why I thought I was going to use threads. I have no idea, but I downloaded it. I've got it. I'm signed up. Don't hit me with a message on it. Cause I won't see it for five That's or right. six years. That's right. So <laughs> let me ask you when, when, when you're putting these shows together, I mean, to invest so much of your life into the future, because I know you're doing it for us now, but I believe that you're also speaking to a future viewer. Is it about the protection or the awareness? I think it's about that general attitude change, which comes from the awareness, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about, I, I think for me, it's twofold. One is just a general perception and trying to break down those, those stereotypes of these mindless killing machines. And for two, you know, and having a general audience care a little bit about these creatures and not just watch it for the entertainment value. And the second one for me, and the one that's the most impactful when, you know, I'm lying in the fetal position in Madagascar with dysentery or stitching up my forearm from my most recent shark bite. And the list goes on to those stories too. The one that keeps me motivated and going is the fact that I get hundreds and hundreds of messages every single day from kids going, Hey, thanks to your shows. Yep. I changed my major. I'm going to become a biology major. Hey, thanks to your shows. Uh, I've decided to volunteer at a wildlife shelter or donate money to a rescue or whatever it happens to be. The list goes on and on and on. And these are messages that I'm getting actively and knowing that if a million people see my, one of my TV shows, but only one grows up to be a shark conservationist, mm -hmm. I feel like I've won, yeah. right? I feel like I've done my job and inspired the next generation or the next group of people to care about the ocean and overall that will add up to something important. One of the biggest fears for me right now, and, and people are not talking about it, is the way that Japan wants to dump that nuclear water into the ocean. I, I, I just, so, I'm so afraid that's going to change the layout of everything on this planet. Well, isn't it fascinating? I mean, here in Southern California, where I live, uh, you know, we have seen radiation from, is it Hiroshima? Yeah. I'm blanking now. Yeah, from Hiroshima in some of the fishes, right? So the fact that that radiation has traveled all the way from Japan to the reefs of Southern California, where you know we have to, for a short period of time, had to be careful what fish we selected to eat from our home waters, it shows you how interconnected the ocean is. And if you think about it, every piece of water in the ocean on this planet is connected. So any dumping, whether it's radiation, plastic, uh, sewage, you name it, yep. is all connected in the ocean. And it's another reason that we we as humans have treated the ocean like a giant garbage dump for for hundreds of thousands of years. And it's really time to start shifting that, you know, and changing that and really respecting it a little bit more. If there were only a, a few, you know, a few hundred thousand human beings on the planet, that would probably be okay. But given our population, we cannot treat the ocean like a dumpster. Yep, yep. Wow, wow. You gotta come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always gonna be open for you, Forrest. <laughs> My, it's my pleasure, Ara. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you be brilliant today, okay? I'll try. <laughs>